great to have you in the house. I want to ask you to put something in the frontal lobe of your brain. I want you to think of a place that is your happy place. I want everybody in the room, get in your mind a place that is your happy place. That may be a spot in your house. That may be a beach somewhere. It could be the mountains somewhere. It could be, I don't know, where it might be. Once you have a place in mind, I want you to raise your hand. If everybody just raise your hand once you have a place. Some of y'all didn't take any time at all. I like that. Okay, when I think of my happy place, I think about the beach. And the reason I think about the beach is that's where Julie is the happiest. And when Julie is the happiest, I am the happiest. Just keeping it real. Now, I also happen to love the beach. I love to fish. I love to be on the water. I love to be near the water. And I know some people are mountain people. Most people kind of break into one of two camps, mountain people or beach people. And if you're a mountain person, that's fine. We need immature believers in our church. Some of us are more mature. We are beach people. Julie loves her some beach. That, that is where she can just kind of unwind, hang out. That is where she is at her absolute best. Now, I want you to think of another place. Think of a place where in your lifetime, somewhere that you have been, that is where you go to recharge, where you go to be encouraged, to, to be helped, probably going to involve some people, but where is that place? When you have that place in mind, I want everybody to raise your hand. This will take a little bit more time than the first one. For me, the, the place that I go to in my mind and in my memory, it's not currently, but in my memory, is 7711 Pagewood, Houston, Texas, 77063. 7711 Pagewood is the house that I grew up in in Houston. Now, I remember a lot of stuff happened at that house. I remember, you know, I remember my brothers and me throwing a baseball in the backyard and it went through the window and my mom came outside and she goes, what happened? I said, the window broke. She said, I know the window broke, what happened? I said, Pat missed it when I threw it to him. I remember a lot of things like that. I remember we had a babysitter one night and my brothers and I were outside. How many of you ever built ramps to jump your bicycle at the house? Man, those were the days. We used to do this all the time. We, we built a ramp one time and we lined up roller skates to jump over because that was all we could find. And my brother Gil hit the ramp. We even had a landing ramp on this one. This is how serious this was. Well, <clears throat> Gil didn't quite make the jump. And his back tire hit the last two skates, caught on the landing ramp, kicked him over the front of the handlebars, Bleeding ensued. I went to the door. We had a babysitter that night. I went to the door, started knocking on the door, psh, broke the window in the front door of our house. This was one of those nights where boys will be boys, and it was just stupidity on parade. I remember a lot of things like that. But I also remember 7711 Pagewood was where I would go when I got broken up with. 7711 Pagewood is where I would go when I had a problem. 7711 Pagewood was where I knew 
I was in a safe place. I was with people who cared, people who prayed. 7711 Pagewood was that kind of a rock. And I can take you to the exact moment that it became that for me because it wasn't always that way. 7711 Pagewood was where my brothers and my mom and me sat on the couch as my dad said he was leaving and my parents would go on to get divorced. But I remember a conversation my mom had with my brothers and me. My mom raised three boys by herself. My mom is five foot three. She maybe, maybe weighs 110 pounds holding a brick. She's not a big girl. But she raised three boys by herself. And I remember one time she sat us down in the living room. Nothing had happened. We hadn't had a fight or a problem of any sort. And my mom sat us down and she said the following. I need you to understand something. This was when we got worried. When mom got quiet, that was when we got worried. She goes, I'm not upset. I'm not mad about anything. But I need you to understand something. Just because I am not six feet tall and do not have a bass voice does not mean you do not have to listen to me. For better or worse and for choices that none of us have made, I am in charge. If this is going to work, you have to do what I say to do. At which point, all three of us stood up and said, yes, mother dearest, we will always obey you. We will never, ever push the authority envelope ever again. God bless you and have a good night. I wish I could tell you that was the case. But that conversation, though I certainly pushed the edge of the authority envelope more than a couple of times, that was the beginning of my understanding the gift of authority. I knew that my mom did not want to be a single mom. I knew she did not want to be the only one in the house calling the shots, particularly for a ragtag bunch of hairy-legged boys like my brothers and me. But that was the situation. And it was the beginning of my understanding of the gift of authority. Because in my mom's authority in the household, my brothers and I found tremendous security. We found incredible confidence. Even though we didn't like everything she told us to do or not to do, we understood she was the mom, we were the kids. The number one priority of all authority is security. I'm gonna say that again. The number one priority of all authority is security. I think about the kids that we'll take to camp this week, our high school students, parents that you entrust them to us, this is the culmination of months of prayer, preparation, planning, programming. But it all starts and is held together by keeping kids safe, by making sure they are secure, traveling to and from, while we're there, in the wreck, in everything that we do, recreation, not, not the wreck, but the recreation, <laughs> camp terms, closer to home, moms and dads. You, you could have the most unbelievable nutrition plan for your children, the perfect discipline paradigm, and 
devotionals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if the family is not secure, none of those things ever come into play. Government, the number one job of all government. I don't care if you are Republican, if you are conservative or progressive, undecided, libertarian, whatever stripe you might be politically. The number one job of government is security, fiscal policy, foreign policy never comes into play if your citizens aren't secure from enemies, both foreign and domestic. The number one job of all authority is security. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the God of power, the fact that God Almighty, Almighty, is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, perfectly, eternally, perfectly expressed, eternally communicated. He is the seat of all power. And as such, he is to be the source of our security, our personal security, our emotional and psychological security, our spiritual security is wrapped up in the power of God. Now, we've been using the songs of ascent, these psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 that Israel would sing as they would make their way up to Jerusalem for three annual worship festivals. Today, we're in Psalm 125 that speaks specifically to the power of security. I want you to look at Psalm 125 with me, and I want you to read the highlighted words at the very end when we get there in just a minute. This is what Psalm 125 says. Now, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. Say Mount Zion. Zion. Okay, I'm going to come back to Zion in just a second. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. The wicked will not rule the land of the godly. For then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. Oh Lord, do good to those who are good, whose hearts are in tune with you. But banish those who turn to crooked ways, O oh Lord. Take them away with those who do evil. Say it with me. May Israel have peace. May Israel have peace. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. Now, whenever you see Mount Zion or you hear the name Zion, always equate that to Jerusalem. This is, this is the city on a hill, if you will. The, the hill is Mount Zion. Right there in the walls of the old city, Mount Zion and Jerusalem are the same thing. And for the nation of Israel, Mount Zion and Jerusalem held a unique place in their collective consciousness. As they would make their way up to Jerusalem, they saw Jerusalem, they saw Mount Zion as the epicenter of God's activity in them as his chosen covenant people, but also through them as his chosen covenant people. Now, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, is an interesting place geographically. I want everybody to hold your hand up kind of like this, just in front of your face, like this. Hold your hand up like that. Now, Jerusalem is situated right here between 
two valleys. There's a valley that goes off your thumb and there's a valley that goes off of your index, Mr. Pointer Finger there. This valley is the valley of Henan. Say Henan. This valley is the Kidron Valley. The Kidron, say Kidron. Kidron, if you go across the Kidron Valley, you are there onto the Mount of Olives where Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jerusalem is situated on a hill between these two valleys, and it was this geographical formation that the psalm writer uses to communicate the power of security in covenant relationship with God. As you looked out from Jerusalem, you would look over the Kidron Valley or over the Hinnon Valley, and you would see other hills and mountains surrounding Jerusalem. So there was this natural kind of kind of fortress wall created by the topography of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was really well situated to have a safe, secure existence. Not, not impregnable, but certainly secure. But you got to understand what Mount Zion really represented to Israel. It wasn't only the, the physical security, there was the spiritual security of Mount Zion. The significance of Mount Zion or Jerusalem is this. Number one, it represents God's presence to the people of Israel. Mount Zion, Jerusalem, is where the temple was constructed, and it was within the temple, specifically the Holy of Holies, where the Spirit of God resided. Now, we, of course, know that God has always been omnipotent. He has always been omnipresent. He is all present everywhere in the world, but for Israel... Mount Zion represented the, the epicenter. This was the place from which the power of God radiated out through them and in them. It was the presence of God. If you've, if you've ever taken seriously the book of Psalms, chapter 46, verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. If you've ever prayed for the presence of God, you understand the power, the palpable tangible power of the presence of God. It's something that happens when we worship together. God says, I will inhabit the praises of my people. Something happens when we worship that doesn't happen at a concert. I don't care who you go see. The presence of God has this power to it. It's a power that we feel collectively. It can be a power that you feel privately as you pray but there's this presence of God, and for Israel, that was represented in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem. Number two, it is the fulfillment of God's covenant. When Israel thought of Jerusalem and Mount Zion, they thought of the covenant God had made with Abraham that was fulfilled when they occupied the promised land, when they took possession of Jerusalem and made it their home. It was the fulfillment of that covenant. Number three, it is their home. Israel finally had a home. You'll remember Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees. And God came to Abraham and he said, go to the land that I will show you. And that began a nomadic, wandering existence, not only for Abraham and Sarah, but for the nation of Israel that lasted centuries. Finally, finally, Israel had a home. They weren't roaming the wilderness seeking God's direction from day to day. They had a home, 
a home base where God radiated through them, a home base where they had peace. They were no longer wandering across other people's kingdoms, praying for the whims of other kings and kingdoms to give them access, to give them passage through. They had a home. And then number four, Mount Zion in Jerusalem represents David's throne. David's throne, King David. King David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. But not only was David a man after God's own heart, it was through a covenant with David that God would fulfill the covenant he made with Abraham in the person of Jesus Christ. God promised David because of his faithfulness that there would always be a member of his family on the throne of Israel, fulfilled in the person, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, who is directly related to David. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of us, I'm raising my hand already, how many of us have gotten to those places in the Bible, like Matthew chapter one, where it lists the genealogy of Jesus, and you skip it? Be honest. You see about three begats, and you're like, okay, I get it, let's go. I wanna challenge you to read the begats of Matthew chapter one specifically because it shows the unbroken succession, the unbroken line of God's faithfulness all the way from Adam to David to Jesus. It shows how God accomplished his purposes across time and centuries and generations. And so when Israel saw David's throne and they understood the covenant David had cut with God, they saw the faithfulness of God manifested in physical form. And all of these things are going through their mind as they're singing these hymns, these psalms, making their way up to Jerusalem. And here the psalmist says, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. It's almost impossible for us to understand or to fully grasp the spiritual significance of Mount Zion. But I hope by just kind of pointing out these facts, you start to understand this is what's being conveyed. This is what's being communicated. The power of security for those in covenant relationship with God. It wasn't just about the physical location of Jerusalem. It was about the spiritual location of God's work and his people. And to be sure, they were up and down. One, one theologian calls it the sawtooth relationship of Israel and God. Isn't that good? The sawtooth, up and down. Anybody here have a sawtooth relationship with God? Oh, everybody's solid, straight up and to the right. That's awesome. We all understand that. Things are good. I got this. And I, after a while, we can do like Israel and kind of start to believe our own press clippings. Kind of like, well, apparently, I don't like to talk about this, but apparently, I'm the man. I must have it really going on. And this is what happened to Israel over and over and over again. When I was in college, I lived with four other guys in an apartment down by the University of Texas campus. 
when we moved in, it was a relatively new apartment building. It was pristine condition. Five 19-year-old young men can be really hard on an apartment. I'm not going to go into all of the gory details, but I will tell you that we did not get our security deposit back <laughs> at the end of that school year. How many of you have ever put down a security deposit, maybe on a place that you rented or on a car or something like that? You, you know what I'm talking about. There are security deposits that we make in life. Security deposits that accrue to us certain confidence. Not because we're great, not because we're special, but because of where we place the deposit. Because of the deposit that we place in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, this same Jesus. When we make those kind of security deposits, it helps us navigate uncertainty. It helps us navigate anxious thoughts. The book of Psalms says, Father, search me and know me. Find any offensive, anxious way within me. And renew within me a right spirit, a steadfast spirit. You and I live in a world that majors in uncertainty, in change, in passing fads, beliefs, worldviews, belief systems. The more security deposits we place in our relationship with Christ, the less that stuff will affect us. Now, within this life, we will never escape it completely. We will forever be surrounded by it, but we will sail more securely. I mean, it's a crazy world we live in. You've got Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk talking about getting in a cage match together. That sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? I mean, it's nuts. But that's our world. Four security deposits I want to encourage you with, I want to challenge you with to make sure you are making regular deposits on your security. Number one, follow Christ. Follow Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 6 and 8 says this, so... We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To follow Christ means that a person, you, me, someone, has chosen to place their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, which means I own my sin. I, I acknowledge it. I confess it. And I repent from it. I, I do a 180 and walk in the opposite direction. 
and I trust Christ for the forgiveness of my sin, I choose to believe that he died on the cross, he rose from the dead with the promise of new life. That's what following Jesus means. That's what being a Christian really means. But it's not just that initial step of faith. It is also the daily, moment to moment, week by week, month by month decision to follow him more closely today than I did yesterday. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What confidence, what security we have in that. No matter, no matter who wins, Zuckerberg versus Musk, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our true north. We will fix our eyes on him, the perfecter and author of our faith. Follow Jesus. Start there. Sustain there. End there. Follow Jesus. That's the first thing. That, that's, that's where it begins. That's where it is sustained. Number two, know and trust Scripture. Know and trust the Bible. Isaiah chapter 55 says this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God, the Bible, is a holy supernatural compilation of God's revelation to us of himself. It tells us who he is, it tells us who we are, and how we interact with him. Therefore, get to know the word. This is why we do Bible study. I can't, listen, I can't overstate this case. We don't do Bible studies so that we can keep our card as a church. Like, do y'all do Bible study? Okay, you're still a church. That's not why we do it. We do Bible study to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. The more Bible you love, the more Bible you live, the closer to God you become, the closer to following Christ you are. We need to know and trust this amazing book called the Bible. God says in Isaiah, it's like, it's like water and snow that comes down from heaven. Let me ask you a question. How many of us this past week found ourselves looking for some water? Pool, hoses, water parks. We do. We do, man. Texas in June, whoo, 104 with a heat index of 116. Bring it. But give me some water. I need replenishment. I need hydration. I, I, I need that stuff. We need the word of God. We need to know the word. Hide the word in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I've got to know it. I've got to trust it. So, so I'm, I'm taking it in. I'm, I'm rehydrating spiritually. I'm replenishing my soul. Because, man, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes my soul has a heat index of 116. 
Sometimes, sometimes I can get parched. You ever get parched spiritually, emotionally, psychologically? The Word of God. The Word of God replenishes all those nutrients, all that life that life beats out of us. Follow Jesus. Know and trust Scripture. Number three, remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection. Never, ever, ever forget that Jesus rose from the dead. This, this is one of those things that is so fundamental to our faith that if we're not careful, we can overlook it sometimes. Th this is what the Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 1. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because... He raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Never let anybody tell you that your faith in Christ is blind faith. It's not. Our faith is founded on the fact of the resurrection, on the fact of an empty tomb. That's a reality, folks. That's not a, that's not a myth. It's not a spiritual allegory. It is a fact that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. And if God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, and he does, exactly what anxious thought do I have that's beyond that kind of power? What situation, circumstance can I find myself in that is beyond the scope and the reach of the power of God? He raised him from the dead. He can probably handle my problem, your problem, any of God's children's problems. Remember the resurrection. When you remember the resurrection, you, you come back to the power of God that raised him from the dead, and you're like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna take one more step. I don't know, I don't know where this is going long term, I, don't, I may not see the exit strategy God has for this problem, this hurt, this pain, but I can take one more step. He raised Jesus from the dead. He hadn't brought me all the way this far to leave me hanging. And I'm gonna remember the resurrection. And before I tell you number four, I, I'm gonna just admit to you, I'm biased. I'm biased, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong about number four. It's kind of like I would tell you, my wife, Julie, the most amazing woman walking the earth. I'm biased, but I'm right. Number four, lean in to the church. Lean in to the church. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about being the church. Lean in. Look at what Jesus said to Peter. Matthew chapter 16, he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. In the Greek language, it was petros. It's where we get the word petrified, rock. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Any questions? I think that, that pretty much says it, doesn't it? There are some incredible things that we can do and be a part of in this life. But there is no 
association, guild, group, team, troop, fraternity, sorority, nothing that carries with it the endorsement of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When we lean into the church, when we are the church, we lean into the only group sanctioned by God eternally. And so it's the church that rallies around us. When we get, when we get tired, we get run down. When we feel like, I don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can take another step. It's the church. It's our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us to go, hey, I got you. You got this. I got you. God's got us all. Come on, I, we've been through too much together. I've seen too much of what God's done in your life and what he's done in my life, and I'm not letting you stop here. We, we, we got more ground to cover. God didn't bring us this far to leave us hanging. Israel, as they made their way up to Jerusalem, Israel, in their best moments, had this collective consciousness of their covenant relationship with God. They understood that they were a part of something together, that they were united by their covenant with God, that God had singled them out and called them out from all the nations of the world to bless the world. The New Testament tells you and me that we are, by extension, grafted into the branch of Israel. The church, the bride of Christ, is chosen by God to bless the world. And so we need each other. I don't care how gifted and talented you or your kids are. You can't pull that off by yourself. We need help. We need to come alongside and lean into one another. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes you get tired. Sometimes, sometimes we forget the security that we have in numbers. I wonder this morning, how many of us are right now facing a challenge, a loss, or carrying a hurt or a wound of some sort, just right now. I wonder if, if, if that's you and you feel like it, you don't have to, but I'm just curious if you would raise your hand. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. Keep your hand up. If you, if you don't mind, just keep your hand up. Now, look around the room, folks. I'm serious, look around the room. Isn't that incredible? You know what all those hands mean? They mean you are not alone. You mean you're not alone and you're not crazy. Probably. <laughs> but he's given us this gift to be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You know, the city on a hill is Jerusalem. You and I, post Jesus' earthly ministry, in Christ, we are Jerusalem. We are the hope of the world. We are each other's strength in Christ Jesus. The gates of hell will not prevail against you and me. Now, do you think that happens if you just go to church once a week unless you get a better offer? No, that, that happens when you are the church, when we 
are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, have courage, because I have overcome the world. The resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was the greatest demonstration of power the world has ever known. And in his power is our security. We have security. We, we take heart. We are encouraged. Did you know that the word courage is, comes from the same French word for heart? Cure, cure, courage. Courage. Take heart. Be encouraged. Because he has overcome the world. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. If you're here today and you have never stepped into a relationship with Christ, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Step into a relationship with the source of all power and security, Jesus. If you've never done that, it, it might surprise you to learn you don't have to pass a test. You don't have to come to church six out of eight Sundays in a row. You, you begin a relationship with Christ by praying a prayer of commitment and a prayer of surrender. Surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. To the only one who loves you perfectly, unconditionally and eternally, as is. And who also loves you too much to leave you there. If you want to begin this relationship, then you pray just right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to God and say something like this. From your heart to his, just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you, and so I know I need the forgiveness of my sin. In your grace, I confess my sin. In your grace, I repent. I turn from it to follow you. Jesus, I know it won't be perfect, but I promise it will be sincere. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead for me. Jesus, in this moment, in exchange for your life, I give you mine. And I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. 
Because this moment is holy ground. When God's moving in people's lives. And if that was your prayer, then as a family of faith with you, we wanna, we wanna help with the moments that follow. As you begin this new journey, this new relationship, we have a gift for you today that is a Bible and a, a reading plan to help you take the first steps in this new relationship with Christ. When we dismiss in just a few minutes, as you make your way out into the larger lobby here to your right, there's a place there called the hub. And if you'll just go by there, somebody will be there to give you that new believer's packet. That's our gift to you to help with these first steps. One other thing is our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand and just hold it high in the air for a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made and know that you're surrounded by people who are excited for you. And our family tradition around here is you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.